I remember someone came to us with something that they felt God was saying. And uh, they said, they, they imagined us in this building with lots of children's coat hangers. Coat pegs. Coat pegs, sorry. Oops. Coat pegs. And uh, on each peg there was names yet to be written. And people would come and they would write their name on the coat peg and they'd find a, find a home. And so when we came here, when we found this building, it, we just happened to find this place and we, we realised this was a nursery school and I don't know if you noticed on the, on the corridor, there were all these little children's coat hooks which, um, so Viv and I, and, and I, we were just, oh, maybe this is, you know, maybe what God said to us a year ago, this is, this is the place for us to, to be here at this time. So we're really excited to, to be here. We've always said that there's always room for one more and we want, we want people to find a home here, find, find safety here and and so all we're doing is we're gathering. We're gathering people who, who, who love Jesus or who yet to find the love of Jesus. And we're just saying, come, come and, be, come and be part of this. Come and be part of the family. Whether you believe in this stuff or not, you're really, really welcome. So um, it's just great. I was just thinking about that this week. It was really, really good. Um, uh, what, what I'm going to share today is uh, some things that I've talked about already. Uh, and some of you might have might have heard some of this already, so I, I do apologise, but this was, um, this was nearly eight or nine months ago, so I thought I'd, um, I'd share some of that. We, we want to talk about the goodness of God, and we believe that God is good, and there's a, there's a song that we really love, it, it goes, he's a good, good father, it's who he is, and we're loved by him, uh, and it goes, and so have, Google it, it's, it's fantastic, and there are certain songs that just resonate with our souls, there's certain Things that resonate with what's going going on, and so today we're just going to talk about the fact that God's really, really good. He's really, really good, and because He He is good, it changes everything for us. As we, as a church, we believe that God is good. It changes how we view lots and lots of things. It changes how we view ourselves. If God's really good, and what He's made is really good, then actually He. He's made us really good as well. And so it changes a lot of things. Um, everything about God is good. And we've kind of put this marker down saying that one of our core values is about the goodness of God. And we're going to talk about the goodness of God again and again and again. And all we're doing is placing these signposts in the ground, pointing people to the goodness of God. Um, and for lots of us, uh, our earthly experiences or influential people, authority figures um, or father figures, they haven't, they haven't been good signs to us about the goodness of God. They haven't been good signs to us about what Father God is like. And part of our journey, uh, how many of you know, we're all, we're all kind of learning, aren't we? Sometimes we feel like we've got this learner plate. We're all on a, a discovery of how, uh, how God is good. I remember doing a, I was asked to do a talk about eight or nine years ago about God the Father, and it was really, it was really rubbish because I, I, was, I was just, I haven't quite got a good understanding of God being a good Father. And I, I reflected on that just this last week, and I think the journey that I've been on, discovering that actually, God the Father's really kind, and he's really with me. He's not distant, he's not far off. He's actually, you know, what he says in the Bible, that he's right by our side. And to be honest, some of us wear these lenses of how we look at God. 
So as we look up and look, look at God, we place these lenses on ourselves and which are distorted what, what God is really like. And part of, the, part of the things that Viv and I and others talked about is we want to help people to discover what the lens, how God sees us, the true lens, and helping people to take off the false lens to help people take off some lies, some untruths, some theology which tells people that God's not really good. He's good for them, but he's not good for these people. Um, he blesses other people, but he doesn't bless me. Our, our job and our mission is to help people to take off some false lens in order to see God how he, how he really is. He's calling. Um, and, uh, and to be honest, we're all work in progress. Uh, here's, here's what the Bible says. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You know that God doesn't have a mean streak? He doesn't have this hidden bad side. He's not looking at your life and spinning a roulette wheel. Red's good and black's bad. And he's saying, What's, what am I going to do today for Nicole or Nor or Elena? What am I going to do today? I'm going to spin this and just... Sometimes it will land on good stuff, sometimes it's going to land on bad stuff. God hasn't got any character flaws. He's not twisted in his view or in his thinking. And he doesn't hold back your healing because he's trying to test you or uh, he's trying to make you a better person before he's going to heal you. He doesn't do that. He's not thinking you need to suffer a bit more um, because you're not holy enough. He, d he doesn't think like that. Uh, he's not thinking, you've only read your Bible three times this year, so I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to bless you. You know, um, you haven't been to church, you know, you haven't been to church every week, therefore I'm definitely not going to bless you. You know, you need to come to church. He's not thinking about that. In Psalm 119, 68, talking about God, and it said, this is what the declaration says. It says, you are good. So the, the psalmist was writing, you are good. And what you do is good. He's making this bold declaration. And in Hebrews 13.8, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. forever. God is the one person you can always rely on. He's the, he's the one person you can always count on. Uh, even when bad stuff is happening, even when your life's a bit of a storm, which often happens... Uh, in our cir or circumstances, life isn't easy. Our hope is that Jesus is constant. He's the same. The way he looks at you, the way he treats you, he's the one, he's the one constant. Um, one of the signposts that I, that I discovered was about, I don't know, six or seven years ago. I, I'd often go, go out into Balaam and I'd often sort of ask God, who, who in Balaam or who in Tooting, who in Clapham, who, who do you, God, want, want me to, to tell that, that God, God's really good? And I remember going to Cafe Nero in, on Bullham High Street, and I just sat by the breakfast bar up front. And I was, I was watching people as they were walking past. It was a bit like a tennis match. I was kind of watching people. Is it this person? Do you want me to talk to this person? No. Do you want me to talk to this person? No. And I did that for about 15 minutes, and I was getting a bit nervous. I was thinking... How do I even approach a stranger? What do I say? Do I just go, Banzai! Like, or do I, how, how do you say, like, how do you say, God, how do you go, to, go up to a stranger? 
And then all of a sudden, I was sitting at the breakfast, breakfast bar on the stool, and I noticed this lady to my, to my left, and uh, she'd, been there, she'd been there a little while as well, and I felt God say, you're here for this person. And I felt God say, ask the lady, because I was asking God, how do, I, how do I ask people? How do I go up to people? And he said, ask the lady, has she been here long as well? Or how long, is, how long have you... It was something like that. It was something like that. And so I turned around, and I, and I said to her, uh, are you waiting for someone, or how long have you been here? And she said, oh, I've been here about 15 minutes. I'm waiting for a friend. And then she turned to me and said, oh, how long have you... Who are you waiting for? And I said, uh, uh, Again, how do, you, how do you say it on the spot? How do you go, uh, So I said, you know, this is going to sound really weird, but... I'm a Christian, and I felt God say for me to come out here today, come to Cafe Nero, uh, and find someone that God wanted to tell that he loves them. And she looked at me and go, oh. And she said, maybe that's me. And I said, well, may maybe. So I said, what's, what's going on? And she said, I've just come out of St. George's Hospital, and I've just been diagnosed with cancer, I've just been diagnosed, forgive me, I can't remember what, breast cancer. Breast, can, breast cancer, I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer, and I heard her story, and she told me about it, and she said, I don't believe that God is good, and she said, I think that God has given me this breast cancer, because I haven't gone to church for a while, it's been, it's been years and years and years, I used to believe in God, but it's been years and years and years that I am, uh, and, I, and I think God has given me this cancer. And it was at that moment, I just, there's this, this marker that went down and this kind of anger went in me about cancer. And I was like, no, that's not from God. That, and, I, and I said to him, but that's exactly why God's brought me here. Because he wants you to know that he's really good and he hates cancer. He really hates cancer. And he wants, he, what you're going through at the moment, what you've just discovered, he's now pressing the pause button saying, actually, he's involved. He loves you. He's brought me this kind of weird Christian into... I don't really like Cafe Nero, so it's kind of a weird... And I said to her, I don't... I don't have to go into Cafe Nero. I don't know why I'm here. I didn't have any coffee. And, uh, and, I, and so we, we, tr we chatted some more, and we were both in tears, just crying, just crying about what's going on. And we, we started praying, and uh, it, it was amazing. It was really amazing. And then I felt this kind of awkward moment because her friend turned up and she was kind of staring. And this lady was in her sort of 50s or 60s and her friend was kind of looking at me as a 20-ish, maybe a bit long. Um, like, what the hell is going on? What are you doing? You're this weird guy putting your hand on this lady in the middle of Cafe Nero. And it got a little bit awkward and she was saying, we need to go, we need to go. And I just left her saying, you know, God really, really loves you. He's right by your side. He hates cancer and he wants it to go. And uh, it was amazing. And that for me was a moment in my life where I've said, from now on, I don't know if you play video games, you complete a, you complete a level and you don't go back to the previous stage, you go back to where you've completed. And it was that moment. I can never go back to believing that God, God hasn't brought cancer on people. I always believe from now on that cancer is not from God. It's, uh, he hates cancer. Um, and I was just, I've just been thinking now, 
is that uh, just stand up if you've got a friend uh, who's, who's, or a family member who's got cancer at the moment. Just stand, just stand up. Or you, you might, you might just been, um, you might be having cancer. Just stand up if you've got. What I'd love to do is just pray, just for the rest of us. Just begin, just put your hat, well, quite informal here, just bless the people if there's people around you. Um, for those people that have stood up, just close your eyes. And we're going to invite the, God, the good, good God who hates cancer to, to break through. So if there's people around, if you're sitting down, just maybe touch them in inappropriate places um, but just bless them we ask God for your presence to come now I thank you for these people that have stood up and they represent people that are going through uh, cancer at the moment we ask that the goodness of God would, uh, would flow into people's bodies now these people are representing those people that are, are suffering with cancer now and we, we command all pain to leave, all uh, sickness to go. Yeah. God, you hate cancer. Yeah. And uh, we release the goodness of God over all these people, these dozens and dozens of people right now. We bless these people. I thank you that they, they carry um, just thoughts. And they carry, like, God, or they carry, like, I wish they would be healed. I wish they would be healed. What can I do for them? How can I help them? God, we bless these people. We pray for a strength right now and wisdom in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 We're going to have a, an opportunity. If you want some more prayer, just we're going to come and give you an opportunity to pray a bit more. to know what God the Father is like, you just look at Jesus. If you want to know what, how God treats people, you look at the life of Jesus. Um, well, we've said it before, and we've heard this great phrase, Jesus is perfect theology. If you hold up a lens and your view of God doesn't look like Jesus, you've got every right to just stamp on that lens. If the lens that you look at God doesn't look like what Jesus and who he is, just, just stamp it straight away. And Jesus demonstrated what God is like and told loads and loads of stories to teach people the truth about uh, his love for people. Um, I've asked Karen to read, uh, read the story in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. And uh, she's going to read that. So the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? 
and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He, is lost, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. But you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is fine. That scripture is one of another signpost in the ground for me about about the goodness of God and how how God feels, and uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And I discovered in the Middle Eastern church they they have so this is known as the prodigal son, and in Luke 15 there are these three stories about the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the, and then the lost son. But in the Middle Eastern church, this, uh, this passage is actually called The Story of the Running Father. And the title reflects an importance of cultural, uh, uh, cultural knowledge that people at the time would have, would have known. In the biblical story, the son demand, what, what we hear is the son demands the share of the family's wealth. And he leaves home and he breaks his father's heart in the process. And I love that phrase. Eventually it says, like, the son came to his senses, he found himself, came to his senses, uh, and he was alone, destitute in a foreign land, and he's determined to go back to the father's house. Uh, maybe he can work as a servant. And so there's this decision he made. Son, the son knows how rejection feels, uh, and he's in the far country when he was hungry, no one gave him anything, no stranger, no family, no friend. Uh, and he's aware at some level, going back to the village, uh, how hurtful his actions may be. It's, this story is really, really familiar if you've been around church uh, any month, month, length of time. And we have this impression that the father is alone in his farmhouse. He's looking up the hill for his son to return. 
actually at the time he would have been in a village, he would have been in a community and it's a lot more community focused rather than this view, this isolated view that we have of the, God on his, uh, the father on his own and the son just walking down the field. Um, the son's going to be aware of his actions has, has caused an effect not just on the father but his community. Um, some theologians talk about the prodigal will face this thing called kazaza. Kazaza. Uh, just turn to each other and say kazaza. 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 And uh, this ceremony, it actually means a cutting off. Uh, any Jew who loses his money to foreigners and then tries to re return home uh, will be ceremonially banished. They will be ceremonially cut off. And this kazar involves a big clay pot. And what they'll do is they'll smash this clay pot in front of the, the, whoever did that. Uh, and it will have these burnt beans in, in it as well. And be broken at the feet of the, the offender as a visual symbol that now they're cut off as if they're dead. They're rejected from the community, from the village forever. And so the son would have known this. As he returns back to the village or the community, he would have known, actually, I'm going to face the Kazaza right now. But I, I wonder whether there was something deep inside this, this son that thought, my, I know my father. I know he might. I know I'm going to face this rejection from my community, but maybe, maybe my father will, will do something. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm just putting that as a proposal. Um, and so we have this, this thought that the, the father becomes running towards the son. And that term running, it literally means a sprint. It means sprinting. Now, think about it. In this community, first it's undignified for a middle-aged man or a father figure to run in a community. It was considered humiliating. Um, but also it talks about this hikes up his, hikes up his, his and exposes his legs. <coughs> Which again is it would be, would have been humiliating, um, but this young man's father had been watching, and even though the son had broken his son, his heart, he'd been hoping for this return. We get this story that the son, the father's waiting, 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 and he knew the father would have known. I want to propose the father would have known that the kazaza would have happened, and so what did he do? He, I, I, I think the. The father was trying to run ahead of the community. He was trying to run ahead before the community put shame on, on a son and the family. And so what he did, what any middle-aged uh, middle father figure would have done, he hiked up his, his road and ran and sprinted. And I, I just imagine the scene as the father's running through the village. There would have been sort of young, I'm, I'm just proposing, there would have been young boys sort of shouting at him. Would have been the villagers like mocking him. Why would you run? Don't run. This is humiliating. Why would you lift up your robes? That's humiliating. But he ran ahead of the crowd uh, because he he wanted to move to the to the, his son, to his filthy, guilty son, before the villagers got to him. He ran ahead of all that was reasonable. There was justice. The Gazaza was this justice. He ran ahead of all that was fair. Uh, taking the boy's shame upon himself. And when he re we get this idea that when he reached the son, the father puts his <coughs> arms around him and wraps himself around him. And it says he gathered the son in his arms and kissed him. 
And it's this idea that he kisses him on the neck. He kind of nuzzles in. He nuzzles into his neck. Um, and so this would have been a scandal. This would have been a scandalous act of grace for, for the community. But having experienced the father's lavish love, I imagine the, the prodigal son, he would have planned a speech. I'm not guessing he would have like gone, I'm really, really sorry. But the son was just <laughs> overwhelmed and he wept uh, as, he's, as he's confronted with the scandal of grace. And he, my hunch is that he would have known the father it was like that anyway. And we read there that the father publicly restores his son. So he gives him the best robe. You read that. Gives him the best robe. And I, I think that signifies identity. Actually, you're now welcome. You are now my son. You're back into my son. He gives him the best robe. And he says he provides shoes for his feet. Slaves wore, slaves wore uh, barefoot. Sons wore, 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 wore sandals. And I think just that public act of actually you're my son. I approve of you as my son. This is your identity. And then he places the signet ring on his finger. Uh, and it would have given, the, the, the signet ring would have given the son power to make transactions and business in the village. And so the son now carries the ring which signifies authority, which is great. Um, and then they had a big meal, didn't they? They had a feast, they had a party. Let's celebrate. <coughs> my son's come home, let's celebrate. There will be no kazaza, and the father would make, make sure of that. And so in Luke 15, read it, there are these three great stories about repentance. And I, I want to propose that Jesus was redefining repentance, Re redefining what it means to come back to God. The Old Testament repentance means this, this Hebrew word of shub, uh, and it's defined as the individual they make their first act in, in repentance. It's about the individual turning away from their sin and returning to God. The responsibility in the Old Testament was on the individual. But in these parables, and through Jesus' life, how we look at, look at Jesus, it's Jesus who takes on the responsibility. It's, you know, the parable of the lost sheep is one that goes out to find the, the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin is the one that goes out to find the lost coin. The parable of the prodigal son is the father that goes and runs to the son. This is one of many stories that Jesus is telling his audience that repentance is changing. The way, the way people can come to God is changing. It's not about the individual coming to God. It's about God coming to us. And... What makes Christianity so much more different than any, any other religions is, um, is that thing of grace. Years ago, there was a conference uh, where they discussed the different types of religions. Some of the participants argued that Christianity is, is unique in teaching that God became a man. But then someone objected, saying that other religions teach similar doctrines about God becoming a, becoming a human being. What about the resurrection? They talked about it. No, it was argued that other, other faiths believe that the dead will rise again. And so the discussion grew heated. And uh, the great apologetic C.S. Lewis sort of happened to walk into this meeting. And uh, as a strong defender of Christianity, came late and sat down. And he asked, what's this rumpus about? 
When he learned that it was a debate about the uniqueness of Christianity, he immediately commented, oh, that's easy. That's easy. I know, I know what makes Christianity different. It's grace. It's grace. And everyone just fell silent at that, at that word. It's grace. At the very heart of the gospel is this truth that God accepts us with no strings attached. There's no conditions. Whatever we... Um, there's no strings attached. Um, it's by his infinite grace that we're saved. Yeah. Nothing else. There's not... We don't have... Not by moral character. Do you remember? Jesus is, Jesus is on the cross. Who's next to him? Who's, ne who's next to Jesus? Thieves, prisoners, people who've done wrong. And those of us who've read, read this scripture, what does Jesus say to him at the end? Today you'll be with me in paradise. in paradise. There's this guy who's found guilty who loves Jesus. And Jesus says to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So it's not about moral character. Um, when we do nothing else but accept God's total pardon, we receive the guarantee of eternal life. So we were out, uh, Ryan and I, the amazing Ryan and I, we were out on Thursday, uh, just in, in Balham in the morning, just, just saying, going up to people, asking God, who does God want us to talk to? Who does God want us to talk to? And outside Barclays, we met this lady, and uh, she said, I, I used to know God, I used to know God, but... I want to know him again. It's amazing that you happen to be here. We just happen to be there at the right time to meet her. And uh, we prayed for her, and I prayed for her. And she said, I want to return to God. And I said, that's easy. It's grace. You can do nothing. Just come to God with grace. And we prayed and we blessed her. And it was, it was really, really good. God will risk foolishness, just like this story of the, the, the running father. He will risk foolishness to get you safely back home. Mm -hmm. He'll do whatever it takes to get you safely back home. Mm -hmm. And so for us, I'll risk fool, I'll look, I want to look foolish in order that other people can come safely back home. Mm -hmm. so, I, I, so going up to someone outside Barclays isn't really that weird for me anymore. Because mm -hmm. I, it's, I, want to, I want to help people to come back to God. So if people say, no, I don't, I don't want to talk to you, and it's like God has risked so much foolishness for you that I'm, we're really willing to, to yeah. look, look a fool so that other people can come back to God. Yeah. So the son comes to his senses and he heads, heads back home. The father comes sprinting. The father was looking every day for his son to turn around. So there might be people here this morning who might say, do you know what, God, I've messed up. I've done stuff wrong. And I, I want to come back to you. I want to take a step towards you. Maybe, it might even be for the first time. Maybe today you've never really thought about, about God. Or it might be that you, you used to have a strong faith and you want to just return back home. Yeah. So the picture of Jesus, when he, what he went through, and Jesus was willing to, to go through taunts and humiliation at the crucifixion. Mm. So he, he'd been battered and bruised and whipped yeah. by the Romans. And then he was, up, he was told, you've got to carry a cross through the village, through the community, before you actually die. Mm. 
And I, just imagine that scene. He's walking through the cross. He's walking through the crowd. And he's already told the story about the prodigal son, about the father going through the crowds and experiencing humiliation. Jesus went through that same humiliation so that you wouldn't have to, so that you could just return home to yeah, the grace. That's good. Um, I'm going to finish now. There was a story that came out of um, Madrid in Spain, and it was about a father and a son. And, uh, the, the son's name was Paco. And uh, he, Paco had all, he, he made all of, all of these mistakes in his home. And he decided to leave home and just to walk the streets, guilty about what, what he'd done to his family. Uh, and he wanted to go and commit, commit suicide. Um, and the father and the son, they became estranged. There was some, but the father didn't want that. And he was, he was looking for Paco, he was looking for him, searching in the streets and couldn't find him. As a last resort, he thought, I'm going to put an advert in the, in the newspaper. And um, so in the local newspaper, El Liberal, the, adver the advertisement read, read, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Uh, so what happened? The, the father was there. He turned up, and because Paco is such a common name in Spain... That when he went to that hotel in Montana at noon, there were 800 young men named Paco waiting for their father. All waiting for forgiveness. All waiting. Come, I want to come back home. Thank you that you've forgiven me. And this father walked around the crowds and eventually found his son who was there. And they were reunited. One of the ways that God demonstrates his goodness is through a scandal of grace. Mm. And um, we have that opportunity today. Yeah. If you want to come back to God, if you've been far from God, maybe even this week you've been far from God, just yeah. we want to come back home. Good. We, uh, we have these small groups that run during the week and 